Sergeant. Be there in a while. Okay. Watch out for the captain, Sarge. He's going for the Silver Star. Right, Captain Harlow? Tomato to the leader. We going first? You sure do. There's a clearing one mile up ahead. That's where you put down. What's the point? We could just drop some jelly. That'd take care of it. Captain Harlow's decision, not mine. Downstairs, we'll waste it. You're so sweet. Going in now. You've only got 12 minutes this time, Captain. Welcome to The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. And I'm John Hudson. And we're back once again to do another episode focused on the films of Antonio Margariti. Uh, This time out, it was my choice, and I uh, dove blindly into the 1980s and uh, got burned. (laughs) Gonna be honest, this was a weird one. Oh, really? Okay. Well, well, what what this is, is in future, I think I'm going to view them beforehand so that I have a sense of which direction... We're gonna go, okay? Because the '80s, there are several of these films he made in the '80s that I knew very well. This is one uh, that we're gonna talk about tonight, either under the title "Tornado," which is how you can see it on Amazon Prime, with the title "Burned" over the German title. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, or under, if you look it up on IMDb or in several places online, you're gonna find that the title is called uh, "It's called The Last Blood," which um, I don't understand. No, when it doesn't I, make When I sense. saw that that title, I thought, so is the main character going to be a Native American? Is that what this is a reference to? Is this some kind of weirdly, possibly close to racist kind of <laughs> change of title to make things even weirder in the early '80s? Uh, but uh, no, it's it's a very different thing. This is uh, this is this is an odd subgenre that we've not touched on yet before. But we'll get to that in a moment, Mister Hudson. How have you been? Uh, I have to admit that it's been a long time since you and I sat down to talk. Uh, December, I think. It's been a while. I think it was our holiday horrors was the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that uh, the, the best way we keep in touch with each other is by focusing on doing a few of these podcasts every year. And we always say we need to change that. And then we all, both, I think, we get home and like, well, I, you know, I could call up a friend, but I'm just going to watch TV. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of Blu-rays. yeah. And I think that's what I'm going to stick with. I think I'd, I'd rather do that than talk to people. <laughs> yeah, people. You yeah. never know. You never know what those fuckers are going to do. Well, it prepares me for my future career as a crotchety old man. <laughs> Boy, we're both inching toward that. Inching. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to be nice to like both. Like Jackie of us. Stewart heading toward that, <laughs> and the fact that a reference Jackie Stewart tells you tells you how a lot closer. <laughs> Well, at least you didn't say Mario Andretti. That would make yeah. you even older, right? <laughs> right. I'm like, Big Daddy doing garlets straight down the strip. <laughs> Chuck Yeager. <laughs> Flaming out straight toward death. <laughs> oh, God. All right, enough of this crap. Sir, 
since we haven't sat down and talked for a while, what have you been up to? Anything interesting on your plate lately? Ah, uh, well, not a ton. I um, have seen a couple of things that I wanted to bring up. One, I don't, I doubt you've seen this yet. It's a fairly recent Vinegar Syndrome release called Sudden Fury. Yeah, I don't know this one. Yeah, I hadn't didn't know anything about it. It's like a lot of Vinegar Syndrome films. I'll look at it, and say that sounds kind of cool, and buy it. <laughs> and this one I actually got around to watching, and it's a pretty darn good little thriller. Um, okay. It's, what's, the, uh, what's, the, what's the premise? What's the deal? Well, this guy and his wife are having some problems. There is an accident, and um, she is injured in a way that looks like it's going to be fatal, and he decides he's going to run off and leave her. Well, a good Samaritan comes along, and... This guy is still in the area. He's trying to figure out. He winds up sort of getting this Samaritan in a jam. And there's like frame-ups involved. And then these neighbors in a neighboring farmhouse get involved with this. And it's a really good little thriller. You don't know which way it's going to go. It's a Canadian production from the 70s. So there's nobody in it you've ever seen in anything before. I think you're vastly underestimating the number of Canadian exploitation films from the 70s I've seen. That that is... (laughs) Probably true, but it's a pretty good little movie. So if anybody's in the mood for a very low-budget Canadian thriller from the 70s, you could do worse than, than Sudden Fury. Uh, I'm already making a making a, an addition to a wish list. Yeah, it wish really list. is. A lot of times Vinegar Syndrome movies, which I love, but they do come with a little asterisk of like... <laughs> Your not, mileage may vary. Well, not only your mileage may vary, but quality may be lacking. <laughs> yeah, but this was a pretty good movie. I was very pleasantly surprised. I didn't have to say, well, it's fun or whatever. It's like, no, it's good. It's actually <laughs> kept my interest throughout. You're reminding me of my reaction. I, back at the beginning of March, I uh, went out to the theater uh, on my own and uh, saw the film Escape Room, which uh, turned out to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But uh, And I enjoyed it, but uh, it's one of those films where... It wasn't, you know, it wasn't really great. It was interesting. I didn't mind it. It reminded me a good bit of um, the Belco experiment from a few years ago, from mm-hmm. just like I think two or three years ago. Only this wasn't this. I didn't feel that this was as good as the Belco experiment. But they're kind of there's a there's a similar vibe to them, especially in the final act. And uh, the thing is, it's one of those movies where I saw it a month ago, and I'm as I think more and more about it as I'm trying to come, you know, trying to write a, a paragraph about it. I'm thinking to myself, was was it as good as I was it as good as I thought at the time, or was I being kind to it when I was watching it? I don't know. Hmm. And so it's it's one of those areas where uh, it's it's a movie that I'll watch maybe five years from now, and that'll be my final decision <laughs> on the film. Where it's, it's it's been able to sit for a while mm-hmm. and allow me to kind of get to the point where I'm comfortable with it. And that's not true of all movies. Most movies, like uh, went out to see uh, Alita: Battle Angel. And walked out of there going, well, it's fun spectacle, but I never gave a damn about anything in it. Right. You know, it was interesting eye candy, and it was, you know, it did, I, was, I wasn't bored, but I also didn't, didn't give a damn. So, whatever, whatever. And I don't see that that opinion ever changing on that film. But it is weird, the, the kind of twisty-turny thriller things can sometimes leave me wondering... Was I just happy because I was being led through a, a really tricky maze, or was it actually good? Mm-hmm. You know, I, so I don't know. But. Well, in five years? I'll find out. Maybe so. <laughs> Mark your calendars, folks. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if that's that important to you, 
Mark your calendars. Right back in 2024 and say, hey, hey, what do you think of escape room? <laughs> we need to know. I haven't slept in five years. <laughs> I've been waiting to know if I should rent the damn thing. <laughs> now I gotta know. <laughs> My lord. Well, the other thing that... I haven't seen a ton of movies since the last time we got together because a big chunk of my time was taken up binge-watching a series that I know you liked and I didn't see until now. Oh, okay. And that's Hannibal. Oh, yes. Three seasons of genius. Yeah. I was very... I mean, I expected to like it because I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah. And it was a series that when it was on, I I miss a lot of TV to start with because I just don't have a ton of time. Exactly. And part of me was like, well... What can they do with this? You know, I, and I thought, is this going to be a prequel to the, to the movies? What's this going to be? And I, it just somehow didn't grab my interest. Yeah. And over the years, I've heard more and more good things from you and other people. And finally, I'm going to check this out and just blaze through it. It's kind of amazing what they did. Yeah. It's a complete retelling of... From what I can tell, pretty much all of the books centered around or in c- containing the cannibal, the the Hannibal the cannibal character. Mm-hmm. Uh, if and uh, it reimagines them in a new way. It places characters that were important in certain stories in secondary roles, and it um, it's just it's just brilliant. I mean, yeah. I was absolutely amazed. Um, there's still talk of them doing a fourth season. That that's a possibility because the man behind it, Brian Fuller, I know he has he has said that he does have he does have a way for a fourth season to happen. I would be interested to know yeah. what that would be, especially considering how he ended it. Yeah, uh, because to my mind, those three years—if he never does anything else with it again—those three years are just a perfect bit of of yeah. The story arc it, yeah. it was complete as complete. far as I was concerned, but. Um, if he wanted to, if he, I mean, if, at this point, I trust the guy because he seriously, seriously, clearly knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, yeah, Hannibal's just amazing. I actually have recently have been thinking about it might be time to take another run through that again for myself. I'm trying to remember, I think it was was it ten or twelve episodes a season, something like that. A twelve or thirteen, I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's almost that, like an HBO length season. Yeah, yeah, and it's just so. So well done, the acting was so incredibly done. So yeah, you're right, Hannibal. That's a, that was a that was a real surprise because I ignored it when it first came out because it was on commercial television, and it, this is at a time when it when really the only serious television series that I was paying attention to were going to be on cable. Exactly, same here. Like Breaking Bad and yeah. those shows in that area is about the same yeah. time period. And so I thought, well, come on, man! They're going to neuter this. They're not going to. They're not going to do this justice in any way. And then I kept hearing good things about it, and um, I can't remember what prompted me, but I started watching the first season on my own and raced through it and realized, my God, this is just brilliant writing. Yeah. And how many times did you say this was on network television? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like at least twice an episode. Yeah. God, no, they this really let this go. Not have been on network television. They let this happen? No way. And yeah, and I thought it was great. Um, I thought that they, um, I love how they took elements from all the books and yeah. put them almost through a mix master mm-hmm. and um, you know changed the order of the stories. Correct. They took the good parts out of Hannibal, the book. Mm-hmm. And jettisoned the stuff that I hated. 
Apparently there was a lot in that book. I mean, I know that there are massive differences. Even when they made the film, mm-hmm. they drastically altered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I, I absolutely love Ridley Scott's film, and I think everything I've heard about the book versus the movie is the reason I like the film is because they changed it. Oh, yeah, especially the ending. I thought the ending, the ending of Hannibal the book was one of the few times I've got to the end of a book and just wanted to fling it across the room. Uh. And it wasn't a book that I loved to begin with. But the ending was such a betrayal of the characters and everything that you knew about them. It's like, oh, come on. You know, where did this come from? And it just soured me completely on it. Um, So the the movie changed the ending for the better. But, yeah, I thought they did just a great job with the series. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, watch it. It, Yeah, Hannibal, Hannibal, the the three three season series, that's... uh, Strong and very good stuff. I agree. I agree. And I think it's on... I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. Probably. I know that's how I saw season two. And then I ended up buying season three because I couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. Because by the time I was watching the show, season three was... I think was already in progress. And so I... By the time I was ready, I was just like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Give me give me season three now. And so, uh, yeah... Great stuff. Glad, you, so, glad you finally caught yeah, up with yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And, and actually, one more thing about it. It says a lot because Anthony Hopkins, of course, just owned that character. But Mads Mikkelsen really yeah, took it. it says a lot. Within an episode, you're like, oh, I forgot about Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Mads Mikkelsen's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Just fantastic as the character. And everybody on the show is really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then I tell you what, uh, that's uh, where we'll leave that. I think we'll take a quick break play a couple of ads for a couple of other shows and then we'll come back and we'll start talking about Tornado The Last Blood. I think that's what I'm just going to call it. Tornado The Last Blood or The Last Blood? Or Tornado? Tornado. I don't blood? know what to call it. The Human this Tornado? Thing. It's not The Human Tornado. He stuck his finger in the ground and turned the whole world around? <laughs> that's... No, we're not going there. He's the one that put all the elephants in trees and got the flies wearing BVDs? <laughs> we're not going there. He used an earthquake to make his milkshake. Friends, I'm going to strangle John Hudson, and then we'll be right back. Put your weight on it. Just how drunk are we going to get? Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Tell more crates. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. 
Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kids Radio. Last Blood, 1983, an Italian-made war film. Actually, this fits very firmly into the uh, macaroni combat Mm subgenre that I think that um, we've never talked about before. Um, It it was a short-lived little subgenre. It's not like the spaghetti western genre, which lasted a full decade. This kind of flared up and burned out pretty quickly. For the longest time, I've I've been wrong... Because I've often, when I thought about these movies from these Italian-made exploitation films that are essentially, you know, the the, the version of ripoff cinema in the '80s from the uh, from from the Italians that weren't horror movies and weren't post-apocalyptic films, I've just often referred to them as Rambo ripoffs, mm-hmm. without realizing how wrong I was being because Rambo didn't come out until 1985. Well. First Blood was but before first, that. Right, but First Blood's a very different movie. That's first, true. First Blood is a drama that takes place when a Vietnam vet comes home, mm-hmm. and it has to deal with the difficulties that are entailed in reassimilating and finding, finding, you know, finding his place or just being accepted for what he is, and then running up against, you know, backwards assholes. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think of that. That uh, in fact, watching the movie, I didn't even put the timeline together. That... Yeah, so that's that's what First Blood's about. But all of these macaroni combat films, it, it wasn't until just recently that I got to thinking about it and realized that what they're really ripping off, what these movies really are stealing from, are Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter, mm-hmm. which are both humongous hits, Academy Award nominated movies, exceptional exceptional films, but. Once you realize that's where they're pulling from, it becomes really obvious. Uh, first of all, a lot of the motifs that would show up in uh, almost all of these macaroni combat films show up in those two movies. You got, you know, desperate combat uh, soldiers behind enemy lines, you know, working their way through rice paddies, dealing with uh, civilians that they can and can't trust, and there's no way to tell the difference. Uh, deranged, <laughs> deranged soldiers. Terrassing around the place in 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 the helicopters and being the the way in and out of a place, but also being somewhat unpredictable. These are all tropes that end up in these movies constantly and end up in this movie very effectively. But for years, I've just thought of these things as Rambo ripoffs because, of course, First Blood Part Two, mm-hmm. Rambo, does take place in Vietnam and is this giant overblown cartoon of, of a film. Oh, now, come on. I thought that was actual oh. combat footage. Really? Oh, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, that's I've good seen... to know. That explains a lot. But I can't believe you. Like the part where he jumps out of the water and grabs the helicopter. You didn't think that was real? Uh, or the moment he, he shoots the he shoots the rocket launcher 
while sitting in the in the pass, I mean in the uh, driver's seat of a of a helicopter, and nobody in the back of the helicopter gets fried by the back blast. No, no that no. seemed raw okay to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, everything I know about action films like that I learned from McBain with Christopher Walken <laughs> McBain <laughs> which by the way I've still never seen McBain oh man you gotta you gotta take care of that I hear in McBain and this could this could this could be just urban legend <laughs> but does he does he actually use a handgun to shoot a, uh, to shoot one plane out of the air while he's in another plane that is not an urban legend sir <laughs> oh my god only Christopher Walken huh but he sells it you, you believe it when you watch it you don't you don't even hesitate and believe in that. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway. The man can act. Well, yes, he can, but I don't know that he can make me believe that. <laughs> so, uh, the Macaroni Combat War films, um, Antonio Margariti made a few of them. Now, the one he made that was right before this is actually one that I'm very familiar with because it's been released a couple of times on uh, DVD, and I think even it's even out on Blu-ray now, called The Last Hunter. And we've talked about that one a bunch. And In fact, I still have your copy of that here. We're at my house tonight for the first time, and mm-hmm. um, I still have the copy that you loaned me a couple years ago. So we need to get around to doing that one soon. It's, it's a good one. I don't know if we'd be, it'd be good to do it right after this Oh, no, one. not back-to-back. Kind of, but... kind of vary it, but that's a, that, that's a film that I think is better than this one because I think that it, it wears... In some ways, it kind of uh, copies the Deer Hunter a little bit more, and therefore, it's not trying to be kind of the action spectacle that it's that this film is trying to be at times, where it seems to be trying to recreate on a much smaller budget some of the things that go down in Apocalypse Now. Mm -hmm. But this film, uh, 1983, so we're we're. A few years out from Apocalypse Now was 79, Deer Hunter was I think 78. 78, 7. Those came out pretty close together. Right. And so there was a there were a spate of those types of films that were coming out and of course the Italians like nothing better than fi- finding a really big hit and then trying to convince people, "Hey, this is just like that." Mm-hmm. Only with more blood. Odd that there weren't any Italian rip-offs of Coming Home. Uh, that's very strange. Yes, yes. Maybe maybe there's some of that folded into one of these macaroni combat films. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of doubt it. But yeah, this film starts like uh, most of these films do, which is a bunch of show, sh- uh, soldiers s- stuffed together into a uh, combat helicopter going to some place to kill people. So not a big shock. Pretty no. much standard. No. And uh, we're quickly introduced to, um, really, let's just call them, there's three main characters in this movie. One you don't meet for a little while because he's not a soldier, but the two main characters are the are uh, uh, Sergeant Sal Maggio, played by Timothy Brent. And I want you to imagine the air quotes I just put around Timothy <laughs> Brent. Thank you, listener. Please imagine that. Um, of course, Timothy Brent is actually Giancarlo Prete, who's an Italian actor going under a fake name. But that's what you're used to by this time. Oh, yeah. If you're paying attention to these Antonio Margariti films. Yeah, that should not be a new development for you. No, 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 no. And uh, Captain Harlow, played by Antonio Marcina, who's not going under a fake American name, which I found very interesting. Well, he's the bad guy. Exactly. Captain Harlow is obviously the bad guy because he's the guy who's ordering these men to go and do things, even when it's obvious that a large number of them are going to be killed in combat. 
And he seems to be doing these things because it uh, makes him look good and will allow him to advance advance in rank. I guess they're never very clear about exactly how getting everybody killed is going to put him in a good light. Wouldn't that put you in a bad light? You would think so, but if he retakes the hill, you know... Or whatever. But bu- they, or whatever. If a bunch of guys get killed, well, he won the battle, you know, so maybe that's where they're going. I guess. I mean, I think that to a large degree what they're playing on is the, the thing that um, we knew about because Vietnam was, you know, a, 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 the, the first television broadcast war, at least for the, for mm-hmm. the United States. And so we were well aware that one of the ways in which soldiers were graded as to their success. Wait, wait. Right? What's Vietnam? <laughs> It's a place that bone spurs can keep you out of. That's where I've heard of it. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simple operation and or, ah. and or syphilis can keep you right out of it. Well, yeah, that was my Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea was however many, you know, you, you, you were trying to count kills. That was the whole idea. How many of the enemy could you verify that you killed? And mm-hmm. in some cases, you counted... You counted dead bodies that weren't necessarily the enemy, and in some cases you inflated those numbers. And I'm assuming that that's what's kind of going on here. Could be, but they're not really they're, they're not really clear on that. Other than Captain Harlow does seem to be a bit of a prick and does does seem to be willing to toss soldiers' lives away pell mell just to get I don't know more uh, more of the enemy shot. I think so. Yeah, like we're gonna take this. A weapons cache, no yeah. matter how many of my guys have to go with it. Now, one thing that I did like about him as a villain is he wasn't just strictly one-dimensional. He wasn't. He didn't, like, sit behind a desk yeah. and order his guys to die. He's right down there fighting with them. He's a good soldier for what he has to do. He's not cowardly or... No, no, he, he's out He's out in the field with them, actually, which... which at the time, I, I kind of I kind of didn't think that much about, but then as the movie went on, especially near the end, I kept thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, this guy was putting himself in the line of fire as well, so are we really supposed to dislike this guy in the way that we're really being led down the path to do so? Yeah, I mean, see, that was one of the things that was a little, a little complicated. I mean, on one hand, he's doing terrible things for his men, but he's not afraid to get in there with them. Yeah, I mean, he's he could very easily take a bullet himself. There's never mm-hmm. at some point at which he seems to be a coward. Yeah, he never like hides behind a tree and says, "You guys do right. that." And well, here's the thing: I think that at some point, what what they were trying to do here is in adhering to what they're copying. Uh, no matter what else you may say, at their hearts, both the Deer Hunter and uh, Apocalypse Now are both anti-war movies. And I think that pretty much every filmmaker worth his salt who's tried to make a war movie does know that there's almost no way to make an anti-war movie without glorifying combat because it just... As soon as you put that kind of stuff on film, there's something inherently exciting about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that this movie suffers from uh, a split down the center of what it might have originally thought that it was going to try to accomplish, which is, let's be an anti-war movie, but at the same time, let's be an action movie. And it's kind of trying to be both by having this message of the, you know, the the, the Sal Maggio character being this rebellious uh, soldier who finally does decide that he's had enough of the, the bullshit from his commanding officer. Um, and the commanding officer... You know, following the rules and doing what he's doing, what he has to do to to rein this guy in, 
and I think that what they were trying to set up, and they do to a certain degree manage this, is make it so that it's difficult for the audience to choose between the two of them because, yes, these are hard choices that he's making and therefore, he's, I mean, he's, he's got his orders as well. Harlow's got his orders as well. He may be a little bit too gung-ho about how many people he gets killed doing, you know, carrying out his orders, I would say. But at the same time, you understand where South is coming from as well, which is a lot of this is completely unnecessary. And the tactics that you're using are not necessarily the ones that are going to mean that the most of us come back as, as is possible. Mm-hmm. So I think the film was trying to set up a couple of different things, which is an ambivalence, an un, an, a, a kind of no good answer situation for which of the two of these is right. Because kind of both of them have intentions that you can understand and not necessarily dislike. But the problem with that split is that for filmmaking, it's always the rebel that's going to be the... Oh, it's, sure. It's going to be the sexy one who's going to be the one that's you know the film is going to follow because it's the, the rebel who's always going to start moving things in a certain direction. Who's going to be the, the one taking action or being... You know, you know, very emotional, or or do the things that are cinematic in a way that'll keep your attention. Mm-hmm. The other dichotomy in the film is, I think, that split between really kind of wanting to have a an anti-war message to a degree, which is true of a lot of these kind of movies, and at the same time wanting to have some, you know, some interesting action movie action movie sequences, some some combat sequences that are exciting that is what gets people to come see your movie in the first mm-hmm. place. Which actually takes us right back to the opening. So, yeah. We'll circle back, I guess. And let, let's, before we review it, let's... Okay. And, and I'm driving here. What's going on? I'm usually the one causing all the problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is... We're um, in the universe where Spock's got a beard all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 movie, the movie's pretty basic. I mean... The, the the these characters, it's it's clear that this is something they do pretty regularly as the film begins, which is they uh, helicopter into an area. The uh, helicopter pilots tell them you've got you know eight minutes or ten minutes or however yeah, whatever it whatever is. short yeah. period of time it is, and then we'll be back here to airlift you out. And they're going into some specific area where there's some village or something where they have intel about uh, a weapons cache or Viet Cong whatever it may be. And they've got X number of minutes before they have to be back to the LZ, and then they'll get they're getting out of there on those choppers. So we have an opening action sequence that establishes the you know Sal's you know Sergeant Sal's frustrations with the way uh, Harlow is running things because yeah, he sends guys in where they're one guy gets killed stepping on a landmine. Okay, next guy, you go. Yep. And then he's okay. They've cleared it now, even though two guys have gotten blown in half. And then, of course, we have the uh, soldier who we just learned, we learned just enough about to know that he's probably going to buy it, mm-hmm. which is uh, Tom, <laughs> who's, who's uh, we, we learned too much about him for him to actually make it through this sequence. But that's not that much of a shock. We are talking about a war movie, right? All right. Any right. character who's got a sweetheart waiting for him back home, and I can't wait. In two days, my tour is done. <laughs> Yep, yep. Or has some, you know, future that he's looking forward to that would involve all of his limbs. Can't wait to get back and start winning those pole vault competitions again. Yes, exactly. Uh, thanks for that. I better know what's going to happen to you. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, during this uh, during this opening combat sequence, he takes a bullet in the leg 
and then uh, the while the while most of the soldiers head back to the uh, landing the the, the uh, landing zone to meet the choppers, uh, Sergeant Sal stays stays behind and tries to uh, carry his buddy with the bullet wound in his leg, which looks like a really nasty wound. Yeah, hey, there's bone sticking out of yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, start uh, he he tries tries to make it back carrying him, doesn't make it, and uh, it's clear that Captain Harlow could give a shit. <laughs> We get you know those who those who made it are good, and the rest of them they just didn't make it. Oh well, mm-hmm. too bad. But of course, being the uh, heroic some bitch that he is, Sergeant Sal uh, manages to carry his his buddy uh, across across the countryside. There uh, engages in a few uh, pretty 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 quiet kills of a, of a few few people near a riverbank, and then they steal uh, they steal a little boat and uh, make it back all the way back to. Um, the the army base, which uh, it was kind of weird how they came up with the army base. It's like why aren't, why aren't there any soldiers like paying you know like not necessarily paying attention but but taking note of the fact that hey that looks like two guys coming toward us on in a, in a boat. They might be soldiers. They might be enemies. Let's here come on over here and dock and we'll check your yeah papers. we'll we'll check you we'll check you first who you might just blow us up. Now but of I course, want to say before we go further though. That opening action sequence I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing that this movie does throughout is it really stretches whatever budget they had. It looks like it yeah. costs a lot more than it ever had to. Well, this is another of the 700 trillion movies shot in the Philippines. That's what I was going to guess yeah. was that it was shot in the Philippines because it sure looks like Vietnam. It looks very authentic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, much like Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. which was shot in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, this movie, you know, takes advantage of the fact that it was cheap to shoot movies in the Philippines. I mean, good lord, American uh, exploitation filmmakers from Roger Corman on, on from the 1960s forward, have, been, have had at this point been making movies on the cheap in the Philippines. I mean, all those Jack Hill women in prison movies made in the early 70s. Ah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Blood Island movies that mm-hmm. were shot in the late 60s. Yeah. Uh, Black Mama, yeah. White Mama. Yep. The Woman Hunt. Yeah, ex- exactly. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's a there's a long, especially, I don't know how much longer uh, it went on that uh, the Philippines were kind of a standard place to go and shoot uh, cheaply for exploitation filmmakers. But, you know, clearly by the mid-80s, this was, still, this was still going on because a lot of these, you know, if you wanted to pretend you were in Vietnam, the Philippines were the best, easiest, cheapest place to do it. And of course, be- the, the whole country is basically a set, too. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't have to set decorate for your jungle. You just go out there, and there it is. There so. it is. And you know, along with, you know, plenty of people who are more than willing to be extras in your film for cheap. And, and you uh, can set fire to. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Throw off cliffs. <laughs> who knows what else. But the uh, also by the 1980s, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of uh, locals who were well-versed in dealing with film productions in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, been doing it for this, you know, at least since the early 60s. So all these foreigners roll into town, start throwing money. Well, and the and the Italians, I don't know, well, also probably with Roger Corman. They're not throwing a lot of money around, but there's <laughs> yeah. there's money to be made. There's some change on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you wait until they walk away, you might find some dimes. So <laughs> hang on. Um, so this is the... This film does have uh, the, the things that it has going for it. Do tend to be the fact that 
Um, we have Antonio Margariti, who by this time could probably make a film like this without, without you know, with one eye tied behind his back in a weird way because he knows how to do this stuff and it, and he knows how to make, uh, he knows how to cut together an action sequence. I think that um, there are some, not so easy to spot, but there are some, there are some instances of his uh, miniature work in this I, as well. I agree. I, in fact, I was going to bring that up later. I think there's a couple helicopter shots where they're flying through fire Yeah, that I suspect were miniatures, but they're so good. It's not like you're looking at a Gamera movie. No. Where it's like, oh, clearly, that's a miniature. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's a couple train shots. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, those definitely are, but even then, they're good. Well, I think the reason that I could spot the train stuff very easily is that my eye is now trained in a Margariti film to look for train miniatures. Exactly, I was looking for them, too. Because from Killer Fish and um, uh, Ark, Ark of the Sun God, and, you know, like half a dozen different movies where... He's he's blowing up train yards and all this kind of stuff. It's like it really is, you know, a large kid with his son, at this point with his sons, of course, even um, working working overtime to, to to build train sets and train and trains and just blow them all to hell like like they're in their basements having fun. With I know each other. it's like he's like Gomez Adams. Yeah, exactly. Going to town. <laughs> Let's blow up some more trains, kids. How can we work this? How can we work this into a Vietnam picture? Hang on. I bet they had trains over there, and I bet they blew up real good. And if, even if they didn't, this film, they do. They do now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so Sergeant Sal does get uh, Tom back to back to the base, and uh, they go to patch him up. And, uh, of course, it's pretty much a, a given, since this guy would need both legs to be the, you know, the athlete that he was planning to be once he got back home. That oh he, he loses that leg. I mean, as soon as we saw the bone sticking out, yeah, it wasn't. The odds weren't good. No, 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 no. Now before we find out that he lost the leg, of course. Um, oh well, this is where we get introduced to the what I would refer to as the third man. Exactly. Character. Yeah. Now he's played by this guy named uh, what was it again? Oh, Alan Collins. Alan Collins. I love that guy. <laughs> of course, Alan Collins is Lucio Pigozzi. Uh, one of Antonio Margariti's stock company. If he's not in an Antonio Margariti film, it might not be an Antonio Margariti film. Yeah, yeah. Check the uh, check the fine print if he's not in there because it may be an, an imposter. He's got a good part in this one. Usually, he's sort of the comical relief for yeah. um, plays sort of the buffoon, and he's he's a good character in this one. He's yeah, he's actually the 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 character that I think is is best fleshed out in some ways because what he what what he plays is uh, a uh, a news a newspaper reporter who uh, has his suspicions about the the ways in which Captain Harlow are running is running things and um he doesn't ha- he doesn't have anything he doesn't have anything definite that he could accuse him of and none of the none of the soldiers under his command, including Sergeant Sal, are willing to go on the record and actually give him something that would allow him to print something that might get Harlow pulled out of the field. Mm-hmm. But he's he's a he's a he's a, he's very interested in doing this, and and he's the character who at all turns is really trying to do the right thing, but is just stymied by the fact that you know, well, Sergeant Sal is just macho and is not going to do that kind of shit, and Harlow. They they have an interesting Captain Harlow and um, what's um, because he's uh, Freeman. That's Freeman is. Yeah, the, I, I forgot to write his name down. I'm Freeman. glad that you remember that. Uh, the the reporter. Um, they have an interesting 
back and forth throughout the movie because the reporter makes absolutely no secret of the fact that he thinks Harlow is a, a prick who's getting his soldiers killed too frequently. But he's got nothing to go on and is very straightforward about that as well. There's no, he's, there's no subterfuge. He's not trying to hide any of this information from him. And Harlow is either arrogant enough or maybe not. Maybe it's not arrogant. And that's one of the things that I kind of like about the way this character is played in the movie. Captain Harlow seems to actually believe he's doing the right thing to I, a large he, degree. I think he totally does. Yeah. And in fact, that's one thing that I think we have a slight disagreement on because you said that um, Sergeant Sal was too macho to, to say anything. And I think he's actually just a loyal soldier. And even though he completely disagrees with Captain Harlow, he's still my superior, and I'm not going to go behind his back. Well, maybe so. Maybe and that's say way, something bad yeah. about him. So that, that, that's as good a way to read it as. Yeah, and that's I'm the reading. way I read that is that this guy's a good soldier, and you don't you don't do that. And you two Casanovas, let's go home. Ah, size, can't we just stay a little longer? I'm enjoying myself. Now, hey, sir. Didn't you go to the hospital today? Yeah, the operation. What happened? How's Tom? And to cut off his leg. No more athletics. About like killing him. Yeah. Let's go. You gonna stay here no more? Gotta go, baby. I got a question for you. There's a after we find out that uh, Tom, the injured soldier, poor, poor sucker, has gotten um, his leg chopped off. Sergeant Sal and a bunch of the other surviving soldiers go out for a night of drinking, and uh, one of them buys. It's, <laughs> I gotta say, as soon as I saw this guy buy this little trinket from this uh, supposedly Vietnam kid. I, mean, I don't know if he bought it or the kid just handed, handed it, it to, to him. Handed it to him or whatever it was. He's like, hey, Joe, hey, Joe. And as soon as he hands it to him, it's like, that's got to be a booby trap. That's yeah. going to blow up. And like how the guy's like, I'm just going to wave it right in front of my face. This is awesome. <laughs> and, and boom, and it does. And obviously it kills him. And of course, this is also, I hate to say, but it's kind of a standard scene for these kind of movies where the point of it is to emphasize that, you know, you can't trust the, civil- the civilian population of this place at all because... You can't just look at any of them and know if they're the enemy because you're in their country. This is this is a this is a place of hidden dangers, and this is an this. Of course, this movie does not handle this scene well because, like I say, everybody watching it is going, "Dude, that's a baby trap." That's yeah, gonna, don't don't do don't, that. Don't do that. Whatever yeah, you're really, doing, there, don't do that. It's a bad idea. Well, and before that happens, even I mean, um, all the men are there in this brothel, which was a I thought was again. I can't say enough about the set decoration and the design of this movie. This place looked like they just went into a real Vietnamese brothel and filmed. Well, I there's a certain question I have as to, and I don't know this, but my suspicions are that they may have been able to use sets and set decoration and just stuff that was left over from other more expensive productions. That In other words, some of, the, some of these could have been standing sets. Some of this is uh, maybe them taking advantage of some stuff. That uh, was, you know, was was both just there. We talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, the jungle's just there, so you don't have to worry about that. But I'm also wondering if at this point in the history of film production in the Philippines, if some of this stuff wasn't just very easy to come by. It could be, because it, 
I mean, it looked real. I mean, it really did. It's like these guys, whoever did this, I mean, this looks like they just went right back in time and shot it. And I like the fact that all the uh, all the prostitutes look like real prostitutes. You know, you didn't see Lonnie Anderson out there in in the whorehouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Julia like, Roberts wasn't there. I mean, it looked like yeah. real people. It it looks pretty gritty and grimy. It and, does. Yeah. And even before the the little booby trap goes off, the guys are playing mahjong. And one of them's being cheated because he doesn't really know the game. And, of course, Sergeant Sal's savvy to the ways of the world, and he spots that his men are being cheated. So even then, you can't trust the people that you're there with. Right, right, We then have another action sequence, but what's more interesting than that is after this next action sequence, which is another instance of these soldiers going out into the jungle on helicopters and engaging in a firefight and then coming back, what we have here... More interestingly is the sequence where uh, our reporter character talks to Tom and we, you know, we get the, I'm I'm always, I hate to say this, when we've got a character who's lost a leg and he's being played by a character who has both legs, I'm always watching those scenes. To see how they see if I can figure out how they yeah, fake. They put a hole in the bed. Yeah, yeah. How did how did they how did they fake this up? And I have to say that Margarita's shooting this shot the sequence this the sequence between the reporter and Tom uh, effectively enough that I never was really sure how they were faking you know mm-hmm. how they were hiding the leg. So that that's just you know that's just smart that's just smart filmmaking and, and knowing what you're doing and, and knowing how to point the camera and when when to edit and, and various things of that nature. But I have to admit, those kind of things do distract me in scenes like this <laughs> when I'm watching and looking to try to figure mm-hmm. out how, how do they do this, how do they do this, how do they do this. And this is, you know, in these days, they just use CGI to take it out so you can't even tell. Uh, you know, I think the first place where they used CGI and I, it seemed obvious that that was the only way they could do it was like in Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump back yeah. in the early 90s where they have to remove the legs of Gary Sinise and it's like, well... There's, they had to do this. Is this is movie magic because there's just no way that this could be done. There's too much movement, but in scenes like this, which is you know also in a much lower budget and long before CGI was even a possibility, and a better movie. <laughs> this is a better movie than Forrest Gump, I think. <laughs> I have not seen Forrest Gump since it originally came out, and at the time I liked it. I liked that film just fine, but the I fact that I like it, the but... fact that I've never watched it again. And the fact that when I think back to it, I get irritated by certain things that it did. And the fact that it wrapped itself in some pretty hoary cliches. The, the, you know, the, the, the angel female that's the goddess that he longs for. That everything he does is an attempt to, to stride toward the, the goddess who's always receding out of sight. And it's, it's, it's just a little... It's a little too much, and it, and it points to a problem I have with Robert Zemeckis as a filmmaker to, altogether. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but I am excited that I want to hold your hand is about to come out on Blu-ray. <laughs> How about used cars and used cars? You want to talk about a good Robert Zemeckis film? That's right, used cars. Well, those, that's his one-two punch of brilliance, right there. I, I think I, I think he did some other. I think he did some other good films. Oh, there were some other good I, ones. I, I like too. I like the Back to the Future trilogy. Those I like all, I like all three of those movies. But I have to say that past. Man, past the Back to the Future 3 and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, past those movies, Robert Zemeckis has a tendency to just piss me off. <laughs> he does, man. Well, I'll, I'll never forget sitting in a movie theater. The first time I watched a Robert Zemeckis film in a the theater and was just, 
and was just getting angry at the movie was Contact. Contact. I was going to guess that was the one. Holy shit, that movie's a piece of garbage. And it was so lauded. And it's still, as far as I can tell, still well thought of. And it's like, hey, man, I'm a big fan of Carl Sagan, too. But I have, I've not read that book. But I got news for you. I got 10, 10 to 1 odds on the fact that, that book does not piss would not piss me off the way mm-hmm. Robert Zemeckis's cliched, ridiculous storytelling and ham-handed, over-the-top symbol symbolism in that fucking thing. Oh, my God. Well, <sighs> anyway, for me, I can forgive all of Robert Zemeckis's sins just by the fact that I Want to Hold Your Hand is coming out on Blu-ray from Criterion. And because of that, Eddie Deason is on the cover of Criterion Collection Blu-ray. <laughs> That's You're absolutely right. That is... That is a saving grace of almost anything, is it? That's not? right. The D's is in the Criterion Collection. Well, having just recently rewatched 1941, <laughs> let's just say that I still think that's his crowning achievement. <laughs> is that entire whole long sequence on that damned Ferris wheel with that, that stinking dummy? I think that that is one of the greatest comedy sequences of all time. And I know that most people hearing that are going to think I'm insane, but I don't care. I don't care. I love Eddie D's and unapologetically, I'm hoping now that um, because of this, that we may get uh, Teenage Exorcist in the Criterion Collection soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think that's going to happen. Oh, well, a man can dream. <laughs> yeah, a man can dream. A man can also hit himself in the head with a hammer and it's going to cause just about the same effect. Uh, Teenage Exorcist is a good movie and the theme song is awesome. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, never have seen it. Really? Teenage Exorcist? Why the fuck would I watch that? Because I'm a sick bastard, of course. I can't believe it. Why do you have to ask that question? Why would you watch Teenage Exorcist? A, the title. <laughs> well, okay. You got B, me there. B, Brink Stevens. Okay, you got me there. C, Eddie Deason. Okay, okay, you're, you're building a firm case. I think I can rest my case right there. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> oh, Jesus God. Oh, God, there's something so wrong with both of us. Coming soon from AIP Home Video. Teenage Exorcist. Prim and proper Diane, Brink Stevens, gets one hell of a deal when she rents an old house from creepy realtor Michael Berryman. I don't have to remind you what a deal you're getting. When Diane takes possession of the house, the house begins to take possession of her. I am the Baron the Sun, and I shall live here forever! Terrified after a ghastly nightmare, she calls her sister and brother-in-law for help. When they arrive, they find Diane is transformed into a sexy, smoking, drinking, chainsaw-wielding seductress. And she's hell-bent on pleasing the demons that possess her. In desperation, a priest is called in. Thank you for coming so quickly, Father McFerrin. Uh, 
We're the last defense against the demons of hell. Can you feel the power? He's taken command of her soul. desperate battle here with the forces of darkness and i must have special dispensation why did you say so no problem special with the words yes yes everything the priest summons up the powers of a local pizza delivery boy eddie Deason. now it's a battle against the walking dead virgin sacrifice all the demons of hell and a pizza oh. that bites back. I think I dialed the wrong number. Teenage Exorcist. She'll turn your head all the way around. Coming soon from AIP Home Video. Well, Sergeant Sal, to get things back on track, Sergeant Sal has been just okay with things until this double whammy of his... Um, well, there's a double whammy, is that after the reporter talks to the one-legged soldier, the one-legged soldier manages to commit suicide. That's a downer. And yeah. then, after the, uh, at nearly the same time, we have the, the soldier with the booby trap, and he gets killed by the booby trap. And this is just, this is what sends old Sal over the, over the top. He becomes so enraged, he actually gets into a fist fight with, uh, with Captain Harlow. And because of this, and it seemed like Captain Harlow kind of, been waiting for this. Oh, to you happen. can tell he was yeah. just so excited. Yeah, yeah. He, he finally he, gives he, him the reason. Yeah, so he gets court-martialed, and uh, boy, does he get court-martialed! And uh, they're they're hauling him off uh, in a truck to be court-martialed. And there's uh, an attack on the base occurs around the same time. The the jeep the is it a jeep or a truck he's in? I can't remember. At any rate, it gets damaged and knocked off the road. And uh, one of the one of the MPs that is actually in control of him. There's a lot of sympathy for Sergeant Sal. Well, everybody likes him. Everybody likes him. He, and he takes good care of his men. Yeah. You know, nobody dislikes him, but at the same time, again, they're loyal soldiers, so they have to follow the captain's orders. So, uh, the, because of this uh, this attack and the, the fact that the, the truck he's being transported in gets knocked off the road, one of the soldiers, one of the MPs actually, who's wounded, hands him the keys to his cuffs and tells him to get the hell out of there. Kind of just letting him, kind of just letting him go because mm-hmm. the circumstances are allowing for it. Well, uh, old Sal runs off into the off into the jungle. Uh, we see this pretty grotesque thing where he sit he sits himself down underneath this little this little small waterfall and removes, removes a bit of shrapnel from his arm and then passes out and then passes out. When he wakes up, there's some there's some um, quote unquote. I'm doing the air quotes again. Vietnamese people. They're there around him, kind of wondering what the hell's going on with him. And uh, then we get, um, well... Well, as it turns out, some of those Vietnamese people were in league with the enemy. Yeah. Because they led him right to Sergeant Sal, so then he gets captured. And again, one thing I want to well, throw in for the movie that I think is a plus is all the the Vietnamese people yeah. look real. They don't look like actors. I mean, every one of them looks like, I mean, they look like real people. Which is, they are, I guess, but... Is this the scene where Sal uh, meets a snake? We're coming up on that. Okay, yeah. Well, we're not quite there yet, but... Oh, that's right, because he gets... Uh, Sergeant Sal gets thrown into a prisoner of war camp, where uh, he gets thrown into a pit 
with a bunch of rats crawling all over him. That was a grotesque sequence. Yeah, I was that. That one was. Uh, it's like whoa, that's that's just real. That's just rats. Yeah, rats crawling on a guy. And that's yeah. these two scenes where he he takes the shrapnel out and faints. Yeah, and then when he gets in the rat cage, he actually screams no more. Yeah, I like that because even though. This wasn't a Rambo ripoff. I like the fact that Sergeant Sal isn't Rambo. He's a great soldier, but he's not an unstoppable force of nature that you're going to need a good supply of body bags. You yeah, know? yeah, I'm just going to grit my teeth and nothing will bother yeah, me. Yeah, he's a real guy. And like a bunch of rats crawling on him and biting him, he screams. He's had enough. And I, I like that. He's a realistic, you know, not totally realistic, but at least he's not like a man without fear. Well, they do a good deal of torturing of of Sal. Mm-hmm. He seems to have been. He seems to be there for several days. They even uh, they do that thing where they, I guess you could say. I mean, uh, not that different movies didn't do something of this type, but this thing that they do where they they tie his arms to a piece of bamboo across his shoulders, in a in a in a very in a very Christ like pose. Mm-hmm. And lower him down into a big uh, pile of, well, a big pit of pig shit. And one thing that I thought when that happened is that cut on his arm is going to get infected. That's what I kept thinking, too, was, well, hell, he's going to lo- he's going to lose that arm. Yeah, because it was a nasty wound to begin with, and now it's filled with pig shit. Now it's filled with pig shit, so what are they going to do? Uh, well... Um, because uh, back well back at the back at the base because uh, they they didn't find Sal's Sal's body they they know he has to have escaped so uh, good old Captain Harlow decides to launch an all out manhunt for him and uh, because now Sal's a deserter exactly so he's really got an excuse to go after him yep yep uh, our reporter friend uh, is is kind of messing with the captain and continues to ask questions about what's going on and. Um, by the way, something I would like to point out that is really kind of this took me out of the movie on a couple of different occasions. This movie was made in like, you know early eighties, eighty two, eighty three, whenever, but it's set during the Vietnam War. Well, the music playing in the whorehouse and the music that's playing over a couple of other scenes, it's it's new wave music from the early eighties, man. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. And it really took me out of it both times. It was like, what well, we couldn't get something that sounded vaguely like, I don't know, White Rabbit or, yeah, or Hendrix or Gata DeVito or something. Yeah, so I mean, how hard would it have been to to whip up some ripoff of, you know, 60s or early 70s rock mm. to, you know, keep the period flavor accurate? Uh, but they didn't they didn't even come close in this movie with with that and each time that happened it's like no that's the early 80s <laughs> you just might as well be playing the greatest hits of the cars or something as far as, far as well, what this music sounds like but now in defense that may have been the music that was dubbed over the Italian soundtrack i mean i i, I do not know but it's it, it, it hardly matters when you're watching the movie because I, I I would love to see and okay here's 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 confession time folks. Rod owns a lot of Blu-rays. No, it's, this is true. This is confession time. And uh, after watching this film on uh, streaming on Prime, I discovered that I have the German Blu-ray of this film. Do you really? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I have the German Blu-ray of this film. And okay? you didn't remember that. I did not remember this until after I'd already watched the film on Amazon Prime. Now, 
you think that I would, that's the kind of thing that a smart man would just keep to himself and not publicly embarrass himself. But I will say that I am intending to go and put that Blu-ray play, put, put that Blu-ray in a player and check it out eventually and see what dub is on this Blu-ray. Now, I assume the English dub is on there because that seems to have been kind of the standard release version of the mm-hmm. film is the English dub. But I don't know. Maybe there's a German dub on it. I don't know because I can't read German. <laughs> I can't read German, so I don't have any idea. Uh, and so, um, <clears throat> folks, if in the future I, I work my will upon this world and I listen to the Blu-ray and there's something other than uh, new wave early 80s music played in the background of this Vietnam set film... I will let you know, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that that's just the way it is. And my backup for that is the music chosen to close the movie with, which I'm sure is just the closing song used in every version of it. And my God, it just smells like the early 80s. That it does. That it does. And I have a feeling you're going to be getting back to us on that right around the time that you reassess Escape Room. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may be right. <laughs> I don't know. Because I'm more than a little embarrassed that I could have popped the damn Blu-ray in mm-hmm. instead of streaming a, a, a not very good... I mean, let, let's be honest. The print that's on Amazon Prime is completely watchable, but it looks like it's taken from, from a VHS copy. It does, but it's I've seen I mean, worse. Oh, I've seen much worse. It's not that it's an unwatchable version of the film, but my God, I had, I had a Blu-ray I could have watched the damn thing. And I didn't you. because I am a forgetful fart. Sometimes this is one of those things that makes you think maybe you got too many of those darn things. Luckily, I don't have... Bite your fucking tongue, you lying bastard. Luckily, I don't have very many Blu-rays at all. Yeah, you've only got more than me. (laughs) No, do I? Oh, probably. I'm going to stick to that. We're going to move on so that you can't start doing a count and find out. (laughs) One. One (laughs) Blu-ray. One copy of Bloody Birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do have two. two. You have two. two. Blu- <laughs> you have two Blu-rays of Bloody Birthday. So it's just back to oh, different extras. Like the same reason I have two versions of Zardoz, for God's sake. Man. And uh, two versions of Vampires. Ladies, I know you're jealous that we're taken. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> we are chick bait. <laughs> oh, I'm here, ready to roll. When do we move out? What the hell? Hmm. Oh, no, Freeman. This is a military operation. I can't take civilians along. Not even Asia's number one hotshot war correspondent. All officers will assist me in every way. Sign General Taylor. Do you think he really means to desert? Sergeant Manjo has deserted, Freeman. Past tense. But he'll never make it to neutral territory. I guarantee you. Well, in any case, I intend to be there, if and when. Madge is the best. I trained him. He's perfectly capable of slipping past the Viet Cong and making it to the border, and within the space of a week. You rooting for him? Why not? It would only go to show the men in my outfit can do anything. But you say you'll never make it. What's your secret? Didn't you say you intend to be there? In the front row. So he's in the pig pen. Pig shit. He's pinned in the pig... In the pig shit. <laughs> yes, he is. Christ-like pose. Yep, yep, yep. Arm getting infected as we speak. <laughs> yes, making us both cringe. He plays dead and manages to escape. Yep. In a, another really good sequence. 
Oh, yeah. Um, although it's not as good as my favorite sequence in this genre of you know, escape sequence, which is the uh, scene in Meet the Feebles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That is the best yeah, that's pretty good Deer one. Hunter ripoff sequence ever filmed. Oh I think God. it's actually better than the sequence in the Deer Hunter. <laughs> well, it's it's much funnier. I'll grant you I love that. that. <laughs> can you believe we're going to eventually have a Blu-ray of Meet the Feebles? I can hardly wait. Oh, that can't come fast enough. I know. I've, oh God. Uh, uh, and I'm as 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 often and as badly as Peter Jackson has shit the bed for almost fifteen years now. <laughs> Meet the Feebles. He could he could continue making shitty films the rest of his life, and I would be I would forgive all because Meet the Feebles exists. Oh, I'm I'm going to go off on a sidetrack here, sure, because this is a story that I love to tell. About gosh, it's been 25 years now. When I was because uh, I was still married to my ex-wife, she had a family or her family was near Lexington, Kentucky, and she loved to go to Lexington because there were a lot of stores there, and it was a nice place to go. So. We would, um, when we'd visit our family, we'd usually take an extra day, go to Lexington, rent a hotel room, and just tool around the town and go to different stores and so on. And there was a store up there whose name I cannot remember now, but it was next to a great t-shirt shop called the Paisley Peacock. And they had, um, it was a great record store, but they also had a great video selection there of cult films. A lot of them, I think, were bootlegs. It was the kind of store that in the mid-90s, the guy who ran the video section had a picture of himself with Coffin Joe behind the register. Whoa. So you knew it was a cool place. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would always take two VCRs with us, <laughs> and while we're spending the night, I'd rent a bunch of movies and copy as many of them as I could. So one of the trips up there... Bootleg, bootleg and criminal. That's right. That's right. But I think the statute of limitations has run out on this. Yes, I hope so. Yes. But I um, rented a copy of Meet the Feebles on VHS before it was ever legally available here. And so I'm in the hotel room dubbing off Meet the Feebles. My ex-wife falls asleep. She's taking a nap. She wakes up and looks at the TV and sees a hippo machine gunning little <laughs> puppet animals. And she looks at it and says, what the hell is that? And I said, meet the fables. And he said, ugh. <laughs> and I, I think that's why I divorced her. She just could not appreciate the fables. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fully a reason for divorce right there. Actually, and, uh, and one other story that doesn't directly involve her, but she and I went to Toronto um, near the end of our marriage. And in a, used rec- in a record store again, I found a picture disc soundtrack for Meet the Feebles. Oh, and it was the most I'd ever paid for a record at the time. I think it was 50 bucks, and this was in 1997. Wow. Um, but it was well worth it because one side has the hippo with a machine gun, <laughs> and the other side has the fly spooning shit <laughs> out of the toilet. <laughs> the yes. toilet. It's like, well, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. <laughs> oh, my God. So I have some serious feeble love going on. Here. Yes, yes, you do. Yes, yes. So bring on that Blu-ray <clears throat> immediately. Immediately, if not sooner. Oh my God! Okay, so so speakings of animals getting killed. Uh, well, yeah. Well, after uh, Sergeant Sal manages to escape from the POW camp in his wily, action-filled way, uh, as part of his escape, at one point he's hiding in a little, little uh, rocky cave, and uh, what should appear but a cobra hissing at him, and about to strike. And this being an Antonio Margheriti film, I just immediately just immediately turned to the girlfriend and went, 
Well, that snake's about to die. It's about to get chopped in half because he didn't kill any rats. No, which was weird. So we I thought, fully well, expected rat death. I did too. When that didn't happen, when the snake popped up, it's like, well, poor snakey here. <laughs> and yeah, so what happens is the snake gets grabbed and just its head bashed against the rocks until it dies. It didn't get chopped in half. Which is a bit of a shock, but he didn't have an edged weapon with him, mm-hmm. so he used what he used what was around, which was a rock, and killed the snake that way. And as close as I can tell, yeah, the snake actually gets killed, and uh, yeah, yeah. So once again, Margariti seventy seven snakes zero. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think he's killed roughly seventy seven snakes. About the right count, give or take one. <laughs> So, um, and I like to hope at first. I was thinking, well, maybe they used a fake snake, and I thought, well, no, well, it's a real. It's they? real. Yeah, They're gonna use yeah, a real. Yeah. It costs a dollar to make a fake, fake snake. snake. <laughs> you just get a real one, and it doesn't cost a damn it. thing, and you kill it. It's over and done. So yeah, that's uh, so. Be aware once again in the films of Antonio Margariti, we have uh, an animal death. Uh, you know, it's it's a snake, and therefore we've we've talked about Rod's hierarchy of why I give a shit and don't give a shit on the animal scale. Uh, and, you know, I don't care so much about a snake being killed. It's it's egregious, I'll grant you, and it's unnecessary, I'll also grant you, and it's kind of, to a large degree, unnecessary and pointless. Yes, it is, it is. It, and it's not as graphic as some animal deaths that we've seen. No, I mean, it's no, not. It's not like you're seeing its head chopped off and it's still rolling around or anything. No, that would, that would be Castle Blood, yeah. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, too, if you want to think about it this way, if they hadn't killed that snake, it'd be dead by now anyway. <laughs> well, so. you're, you're, yes, of course. You're reminding me of that thing that I sometimes like to do, which is whenever I'm watching an older movie with someone, and it's an MGM film, and the Leo the Lion comes up and roars, I just turn to them and go, you know, that lion's dead now, right? <laughs> <laughs> See, that that's my dad there. We, we'd be watching any old film, W.C. Fields, Marshall, you're laughing away. Yep. You know, one of those people's in the ground now, son. <laughs> Feeding the worms, buddy. Well, you just brought out the comedy there. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Thanks. So I'll just go blow my brains out yeah. now. I guess, I guess, really, I would have been laughing at the Marx Brothers, but they're all corpses now. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yep, even Baby Leroy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. They're all pushing up these. Yep, days. yep. Yeah, that guy's screaming damn dirty apes. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> was it was it his contention that that fact meant that he was somehow superior to the people who'd already passed on? I mean, what was the idea? Why was this somehow something to be said? I think it was just the idea hit him at that point. That, yeah, they're all dead. They're dead. Fuck them. I'm going to point that out to the boy. <laughs> Life is cheap. <laughs> Life is cheap, and everybody dies. <laughs> Even Groucho, he's going to die. He's going to die. <laughs> you know, he smoked cigars. You know what happened to him? He died. <laughs> he died. He breathed oxygen. <laughs> he died. He died. <laughs> you control this sector, right? Uh, ben? Yeah, it's affordable. And we did control that sector. But the Arvin's taking it over. That's where. That's where he'll try to cross, I'm sure of it. God knows we did enough simulated crossings and training together. And there's no Cambodian presence for miles. Listen, we're pulling out, in case you uh, hadn't noticed it. So don't come around breaking my chops. 
Not your damn deserter. He's not just any deserter. Oh, yeah, I know. He's a Superman. Oh, you green caps are Superman. Clean those weapons. Load them. Uh, scrunts get a weekend on the clap in Saigon after a six-month stretch of wandering around and stepping on booby traps. Well, these guys chauffeur in by chopper for a ten-minute bang-bang and get a silver star and three weeks in Honolulu. Now, oh, shit up. You go on out there and get your super ass yourself. I'll have to let Saigon know about this. Oh, do. By all means. The radio shack's to your right. I'm sure Saigon has all the time in the world. I know. What's with that guy? Is he human? Doesn't he have a home to go back to? Careful, boy. Captain Harlow has many friends in very high places. Hmm. I don't care if he has a direct line with God. This war is over, damn it. We hope it is. We're in the home stretch. Um, Sergeant Sal is making his way for the Cambodian border for neutral, neutral territory, and Captain Harlow is in hot pursuit, along with his men chasing after the deserter. And our reporter friend, Freeman, is riding along with Harlow. Yep. And eventually, of course, the two trains collide, just like Gomez Adams. <laughs> yes, exactly. To, to circle back to that. And there's the final fight between the sergeant and the captain. And it's it, it's a fist fight, and the captain, uh, he, he gets the worst of it to a degree and gets tied to the front of an army jeep to kind of act as a human shield. Because <laughs> <laughs> Sal drives him on, mounted to the front of this jeep all the way to the border and since uh, I guess it's because Sal just kind of figures that nobody will nobody will shoot the captain really because the captain didn't do anything wrong so he'll just use him to get his way to the border and uh, apparently the border is a bridge over a river which mm-hmm. you know makes sense I could, I could see that and uh, I guess all of the soldiers are either sympathetic enough to let Sal go on through because they think they could have easily picked him off if they wanted to. Oh, well, and then, in fact, they moved the barricade out of the way yeah. so he could drive through. And as he's going across, there's a Vietnamese woman with a child yep. crossing yep. the bridge as well. And so he gets to the other side, gets out of the Jeep, tells Captain Harlow, see you later, sucker. Yep. Takes the woman in hand with the child. Alan Collins, our reporter friend, <laughs> smiles and... Twinkles in his eye with his pipe, because it looks like that. For, for I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't work out if Sal was like kidnapping this Vietnamese woman or and her child, or it what. Like he was just kind of helping her along the way. Like we're gonna just head off into the sunset and repopulate the earth. What's your name? My name Eve, Joe. <laughs> yeah, really, Eve. Exactly. <laughs> that would be perfect if that were true. <laughs> so they they start walking off into a rice paddy. What you know, almost a kind of walking off into the sunset kind of shot, and then out of nowhere. By the way, by the way, yes, folks, we are spoilerizing the holy living shit out of this film. So be prepared. Uh, the film realizes, oh yeah, Deer Hunter, Apocalypse Now. We got to end on a down note. <laughs> we can't have we can't have something that can be read as a happy ending at all. So uh, then Sal gets shot. Roll credits. Roll credits. Now, who shot Sal? 
Well, I don't think it was Harlow because he didn't have a gun the last time we saw him. But the film has absolutely no interest in telling us who the hell shot him. I know. There, there's not a visual clue no, at all. We don't nothing. We don't see anybody in the rice paddy with a gun. None no. of the men on the bridge were going to do it. No. Nope. Harlow didn't have a gun. So we can't see at all anybody who fired the shot. I did have a theory. Oh, God. I knew it. All right. <laughs> you have a theory, sir? I do. What might this theory be? Invisible chip. What a fucking shock. <laughs> that was the only thing I could figure. I mean, I wondered when you were going to work that in. Well, I waited for the end credits this time. But that's really the only logical conclusion you could come to because there was nobody you could see with a gun. The, the shooter was invisible. And does it, does it, okay. The, the, fuck and I don't think Dean Jones did it. Fuck the invisible chimp shit for a second. I have a question for you, a serious question about the ending of this film. I wonder if they did shoot footage that would indicate who shot him. In other words, Captain Harlow going over and taking a weapon from one of the other soldiers and shooting him. Or him ordering one of the other soldiers to shoot him. Or something. And they decided to leave it out to give it, I don't know, to give it the feeling that it has, which is a kind of what-the-fuck kind yeah. of moment. And yeah, it's got the same sort of impact of Dirty Larry or and Crazy Mary going over the train tracks. Yeah. Like, oh, right, we made it. Boom. You know? or, or the end of Easy Rider. Or, yeah. or, you know, half a dozen other, you know, films from the 70s that end on a really downer moment. Yeah, just out of nowhere. Yeah. And this, I mean... I have to admit that this whole push in the in the latter third of the film for you know Sergeant Sal to, to get to Cambodia always seemed like a completely ridiculous thing to begin with. Not just because I couldn't understand why that would lead him to a life that he would actually enjoy, but also because you know this war spilled out into Cambodia pretty easily, and it's like we're not you know you're not that many years away from Pol Pot. <laughs> Everything going south in that country pretty badly, and it's like, hey, how are we? I mean, are we supposed to not think about that? And then it doesn't matter because he gets his, he gets shot anyway. So. Yeah, the joke was on him. The joke was on us. That's right. The joke was on all of us. Well, a couple of things, a couple of notes before we before we move into the uh, let's talk about what we think about the film as a whole. I'd like to point out that the actor who plays Captain Harlow, Antonio Marcina, who's pretty good. Um, he seems to have been, uh, well, he's been in a lot of movies that we've seen. He was in Kioma and, uh, The Big Racket and, uh, Cult 38 Special Squad, which is a really great, uh, Italian police movie. Oh, I need to see it. That's got a great title. It's, it's a really good film. It's, it's really quite good. <clears throat> he was also, for, for Antonio Margariti, he, I mean, I'm sorry, for, uh, uh, Sergio Martino, he was in Slave of the Cannibal God with, uh, Ursula Andress and mm-hmm. Stacey Keach. And, um, uh, strangely enough, he also had a role... <laughs> And I can only refer to it, I don't, I always say I don't believe in guilty pleasures and then I run across movies that that's the only way I can describe them. But he also turned up in uh, Lamberto Bob, not, um, not um, Luigi Cozzi's um, uh, Demons Six Profundus, which was his uh, strange attempt to do a kind of third Mother's Trilogy wrap up in the late 80s, early 90s. That's something I need to see. You mean you've not seen that? No. Oh my God! It's, no, I uh, didn't know this. I didn't know about this film. Yeah, uh, Demon Six: Colon Profundus. It goes under a lot of different titles as well, including The Black Cat. Of course, there's only about seven thousand films with titled The Black Cat. 
but the uh, he has a, he has the, the uh, Antonio Marcina has a role in that. So does but then again, so does Caroline Monroe, which is you know enough. That's to where I, the yeah. Black Cat title is the one that I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a messed up film. It makes absolutely zero sense, which means that it probably fits in perfectly with Inferno. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> hey, I have two Blu-rays of Inferno, so there's that. I'm right there with you. But um, uh, wow, you've ne- you've never seen that? It's it's worth seeing. It's it's no. it's it's not got enough budget. And it's not got enough script, but it's definitely worth seeing. So Luigi Coetzee said, this is the film for me. <laughs> well, that's kind of the way it goes. Yes, yep, exactly. Yep. So, yes, the man who brought you Star Crash. It doesn't have enough Marjo. <laughs> it has zero Marjo. Well, that's not enough. <laughs> A few, several years ago, when I got the chance to uh, talk to Caroline Monroe, primarily about the film she did, Howl of the Devil, with uh, Paul Nashi. Uh, primarily, what you know about that movie. I also couldn't resist asking some questions about Demon Six, Profundus, or the Black Cat, or whatever title she remembered it under. And I cannot remember what she said, but it just wasn't enough. I really wanted some. I really wanted some information on just what the hell everybody thought was going on when they made that movie. <laughs> and I, well, I guess I'll see her again this summer yeah. at Monster Bash. Maybe I can remember to, to ask her about it again. But oh my lord. Uh, if, if her memory, if her if her memories of it were only as coherent as the film itself, it'd be a really entertaining thing to listen to. So, you might have to uh, slip her a few tequilas to get her <laughs> into that level. If it's like the other films, uh, she's so sweet. Oh it yeah, is. she's she's a wonderful lady. Okay, well let's uh, let's talk about um, let's talk about this film in placement of all the movies that we've covered uh, that are directed by Antonio Margheriti. Is it was this your first? Um, encounter with a macaroni combat film it was not i've okay. seen a few others whose titles escape me at the moment all right um well inglorious bastards i guess oh oh that yeah the yeah of course that's, yeah i've yeah. seen that one um yeah. and i can't remember the others right off i've seen two or three inglorious bastards is actually one of the best and i think it's because it became i think it, because it was more of a ripoff of things like uh where eagles dare mm. more than it was anything else because it was made in the 70s and therefore wasn't really tr- striving to be the downbeat thing that right. this is trying to be inglorious bastards is trying to be uh you know an adventure war picture and succeeds very very admirably i think but this is a different type of this is a very different type of genre this is a uh, you know, pattern on the deer hunter and apocalypse now. So what it's striving to do is be dark to a large degree, both in to- both in tone and message. So, um, what what did you what did you think of this? Where 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 did this where do you come down on this film and kind of this? If 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 you've not seen a lot of this subgenre, what do you think about it as a whole? Well, I think I liked this movie more than you did. I think you did, yeah. And I think that might be because I haven't seen as many of these movies as you have. Um, so for me, it's among the best because I haven't seen that many. Of them. Okay, so, okay. But I thought it was actually a lot of fun. I, I like the characters. I think more than you. Um, I thought that the um, the action sequences were really good. I think they did a great job integrating the stock footage that there had to be a lot of with yeah. the helicopters. And I think they did. They, it seems that they may have. Been, I read somewhere that they may have used some leftover footage or may have reused some footage from um, The Last Hunter. I read that somewhere, too. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that I feel almost like I have to apologize for. I couldn't find a lot of information about this film. Out yeah, there. there's not a lot out there. This is this is a film, that, along with several others uh, during here during the 80s, uh, early to mid-80s, that Margariti made 
for a producer by the name of Gianfranco Culliamajan. And that's me mispronouncing that man's last name, so I apologize. But uh, this guy was producing these things at a good clip because for you know for a price if you if you uh, if you got these made for a certain price there was a, there was always going to be a return on investment and it was the early days of VHS boom mm-hmm. and so there was a knowledge that these things could be sold direct to video if nothing else in certain countries but it does look like that almost all of these that this guy produced did end up in theaters uh, in, even in the United States I don't know how you know how widely they played but they apparently did including this one yeah I, I'm I actually quite enjoyed this. I mean, I'm not going to say it was a classic film, but I like the grittiness of it. I like the actual, the realism that a lot of it felt felt like. I mean, there were some goofy portions, obviously, but I thought a lot of it felt pretty realistic. Just the sort of the ground game scenes of the of the combat soldier. Uh-huh. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't know. You're right. I didn't like this film as much as you because. There, there are a number of reasons. One, I really think that uh, both Captain Harlow and Sergeant Sal are not as well drawn as they should have. Captain Harlow gets a little, gets a little bit more time to be kind of a char- a character shades, you know, shades of gray. He doesn't come off as you know what might have been the choice of a film made five or ten years earlier, which would mm-hmm. have been to make him just a villainous character, <clears throat> and that's not what they do with him. But the most interesting character is uh, actually, like I say, the reporter character who uh, doesn't have a lot to do, but maybe it's just because he's played by uh, such a good actor who's able to really express a lot uh, with a little bit of screen time that I found found myself really identifying with him. And, and of course, he's kind of the voice of reason throughout the entire thing anyway, so it's very easy to identify with him. But in general, I, I found that the uh, main reason the film exists, the re- the thing that got most people to want to watch this film, is the action sequences. And I find that some of them are effective, and then there are times when, oddly, they're not. Where the editing is off, and it just feels as if something's gone ro- something's gone wrong in the editing. Like some of the footage got ruined, and mm-hmm. they they had to, to piece this thing together with what they had instead of everything they shot, maybe. There are points at which the the film seems to be stretching to get you into a certain position so that the next act can take place. I think that it's okay, but it irritated me a few too many times. And um, like I say, the the action scenes, it, it it they're the action scenes are a weird amalgam. Some they'll, they'll work for a few seconds, and then there'll be this weird edit where it seems like there's something missing, or there's something there's something off about it. So it doesn't feel. I, be, I began to wonder, I really did begin to wonder at a certain point, whether um, they were being rushed through the production a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I don't have any way of knowing. I wish I did. Yeah, this, this to me is, to be clear, I don't think it's an awful movie. I just think it's one that really needed a better an, another pass. Some of the movies that, uh, some of these uh, films that Marguerite made around this period of time, I have seen and some of them I haven't. And I can tell you right now, one of the ones that I have seen that I think he made just a year or two after this was called Commando Leopard. Mm-hmm. And that one really was good. I really enjoyed that one. And uh, it may it may have been that, uh, you know, it has Klaus Kinski in it and maybe that kind of elevates it to a certain degree. But I remember that one being very solid and also having uh, some, some kind of interestingly well-shaded characters within it. And the action scene, I don't remember the action scene in that feeling as herky-jerky as I sometimes feel this is. Plus... The uh, the out of place music was weird. 
And I and I don't want to overemphasize that, but it is something that as soon as soon as I heard the that music, I thought, oh man, they're not even are they not even trying? Is this is this something they just let go because they thought nobody would pay attention to it? And then also, I I cannot get over how weird the ending is. Now the ending did bother me. Yeah, the um, the ending it leaves a sour taste in your mouth, and not in the way I think in which they thought they were going to be doing it. In other words, I think they thought they were going to be doing an easy rider kind of ending or a wild bunch kind of something along the lines of this really disheartening, downbeat, you know, life is shit kind of ending. And really, all it does is irritate me. And that's really not something a movie should try to do. Mm-hmm. If you're irritating me. You know, not not in the, not in the course of me being irritated by a character or me being irritated by a plot, you know, a plot problem or something like that. But you're irritating me right at the end. Well, that's what you that that's the that's the taste you leave in my mouth, and that's probably not the best choice to have made. But to, I can see that. Yeah, and the ending did. I wasn't a fan of the ending. Yeah, because it number one, it felt like they were just putting it there just to do it. Yeah. And it didn't seem natural at all. It's like the other downbeat endings that we've talked about. At least they were in a way building toward it. And this one, it just sort of like, oh, forgot this, and that was that. And it and it just didn't it didn't work as well there. And I got I got to thinking about it. Darn that chimp! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck you. Anyway, I got to thinking about it. And it's like, well, okay, well, how else could they have, what, what other ending could there have been with what we have right there on screen? And the, uh, the, the other ending is the, he walks off into Cambodia and that's the way it ends. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that would, that would have been unsatisfying as well because that, there's nothing about that as an ending that makes me think that he's going to have more than like a good 36 hours, you know? <laughs> and, and then he's got to, you know, cope with whatever the hell comes next, which is not going to be pleasant either. But, I keep coming back to thinking that that ending that they have with him being shot could have been a could have been you know still very downbeat but a lot more satisfying if we had maybe had a shot of it being Captain Harlow shooting him mm-hmm. because then you can still argue that Harlow you could fall on either side of arguing that Harlow was a prick who shot this guy in the back or defend him by saying that no this was a deserter who was about to get away and who just tied him to the front of a fucking jeep that's right and our reporter is right there to witness it yeah so he's got his story that he's been waiting on right so that to me would have been a much more satisfying ending and you still had the downbeat nature of it but it would have had a I won't say it would have had a point because it would have had a point, but that's not the reason I think it would have been a better ending. It would have been a better ending because it would have once again put you in the position of trying of of different audience members falling on different sides of the fence about whether what he did was right or wrong. But we don't have that, and mm-hmm. I still I really do wonder if that's what they intended to do and then change their mind when they were putting the film together. I don't know. And we'll, I guess we'll probably never, we'll never know. We're never going to get tell. answers on that. I'd love to. I need to. Uh, if if I were a if I were a clever podcaster, maybe I would try to contact uh, Eduardo Margariti, um, Antonio's uh, son, and uh, see if I could get uh, some kind of answer about that because he certainly worked on the movie. He was actually. I think he. Uh, I think he plays an uncredited role actually on screen too. Uh, but uh, until we get some kind of 
information about that, about what the ending might, you know, what other variations on the ending they might have tried. This is this is this is a frustrating film for me, uh, and because not just because of that, but that's you know, like I say, when you end it with a frustrating thing, then it just leaves that that kind of lingering over the whole thing. So that's my take on it. It's my least favorite of the movie, the Antonio Margheriti films that we've covered so far. So wow, well, you really like this less than I did. So um, well, no, no, let's put it this way: it's not the okay. No, 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 that's not that's not true. It's I liked uh, Mr. Super Invisible less. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, bitch. (sighs) You mean that. (laughs) I kind of do. I really do. Although there are things, there are more things I enjoyed in Mr. Super Invisible, I have to say. Just because I like... Well, just because I like... (laughs) The The Invisible Chip... I like movies made in the early 70s. I like the feel of that more than I like movies mm. that were made. I hate to say it, but I do like movies made in the 70s more than I like movies made in the 80s. Well, I do too. Yeah. I so. do too. That's true. Um, I would put this probably middle of the pack with okay. the, the films that we've watched. Not the best. Certainly not the worst. Oh, no, no. 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 All right. All right. Well, uh, since I chose this one, it was a, it was a, bl- it was a blind choice. Uh, um. You get to choose the next Antonio Margheriti film that we cover. So, what would be the one that we cover next, kind sir? I am going to go with a film that you have mentioned a time or two. And um, the title has grabbed me and intrigued me, and I think we need to see it. And that's going to be Aliens from the Deep. Uh, oh, cool. That's another one from the 80s. Uh, late 80s. I think it's like 88 or 89. Okay. Sorry, I can't remember properly. But, yeah, uh, Aliens from the Deep. Um that that's close to the very end of Margarita's film career, so that should be it should be interesting. Yeah, so that'd I, be an interesting place to look because we certainly haven't gone anywhere near the end of his career yet. No, so. no, no. Uh, I saw it years ago on a bad bootleg, and my memories of it are that it's uh, kind of a messy, fun monster movie. But I I cannot I cannot remember much about it at all. Okay. So this will be a huh, it'll be a revisit for me, but. Uh, a bit. <laughs> my initial my initial viewing was very fuzzy. So we'll just maybe I was drinking. It's this possible. might be this year's version of the escape room for you. <laughs> once you have a chance to go back and rewatch it, doesn't that happen to you with a lot of movies? Though doesn't doesn't it? I've listened. I've talked with other people about this, and and you know, both filmmakers and a lot of a lot of people talk about this. Where there's a movie that um, either and it can happen in either direction, which is a film comes out and for whatever reason doesn't grab you but a lot of other people like it and you don't you can't really figure out why why it didn't grab you and then a few years pass and you see it again out of curiosity and suddenly you get it oh that's happened to me a lot of times i can't think of an example right off the top of my head but it's definitely happened where so many people who and you're one of them people who i respect their opinion will say no this is really good and i think I must have missed something. Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to go back and look at this again and then want to go back again. It turns out I really enjoyed it. I can tell you a film that it did that way for me over a matter of days was Magnolia. Oh, really? Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. The Boogie Nights is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, great film. Love that film. <laughs> so when Magnolia came out, watched it, didn't like it. But I kept thinking about it. And oh, I think yeah. a week later I went back and the second time... It was like a, an entirely different experience. For Magnolia. Me. And the second time, it was like, okay, I love this film. This is yeah. great. It's a, it's a really good movie, and Magnolia is one of those films I saw it in the theater, 
And as it was playing, I realized, wow, I'm I'm really stunned by what he's trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I have to say that the by the time we get to the scene in Magnolia where I'm already wrapped up in these characters and some of them are some of them are assholes and some of them are pitiable and some of them but the moment when we get to the 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 frogs raining out of the sky, I realized, oh, I am real. I'm so wrapped up in this that it didn't occur to me until I made myself think about just how weird this is. Mm-hmm. And I realized that's the point where this movie has worked magic on me. I really am. I'm caught in this thing. So yeah. And it didn't catch me the first time for some reason. It may have just been the mood I was in when I sat down to watch it. It happens that way with a lot of movies. Um shall we say somewhat difficult movies mm-hmm. I did not know what to think about and this is this is the only only uh, Coen Brothers film I can say this about but the first time I saw Fargo I walked out of there feeling just neutral not knowing which way I fell on it I felt some of it was very funny and I went back and I watched it a second time and after that second time, I was it all clicked into place for me. And mm-hmm. this was like a week later, two weeks later, it all clicked into place. And I thought, my God, this is this is genius. It's, but that's it's similar to a, my Magnolia experience. Like Fargo, yeah. the first time I watched it, was like, oh, yeah. this is genius. Well, what it was is after seeing Fargo a second time, I suddenly realized what was so fucking weird about it, which is every single thing in the movie is given equal weight. There are murders and crimes and a police investigation. And all of those things are given the exact same weight as... The duck stamp. The duck stamp. Yeah. Or the, the weird uh, uh, dinner that uh, Marge, Marge's character has with the old college buddy of hers. Where the old college buddy is, is in a really fragile emotional state and makes a pass at her. All of these things are given the exact same emo- the exact same tone and weight within the structure and t- and feel of the film, which is what makes it so weird a film. Not it's not weird because someone gets fed through a wood chipper. That's just the extremes of a crime story. It's weird because the Coen Brothers st- built that movie so that everything has equal status mm-hmm. within the way the film in the way the story is told and that's what makes it such a weird movie that's what makes it feel strange when you when you, there are people who talk about that movie and they you know they'll talk about the you know the the wood chipper scene or whatever standout you know uh, strange or or funny or whatever scene they want to talk about the accents or whatever they want to talk about but I'm telling you right now, it's it's the fact that everything is given the same emotional heft when it's on screen mm-hmm. that makes that film have such an odd tone. And it, it, I, I love it for that reason. But the first time through, I just sat there going, what, what am I what am I experiencing? What is this? And I think that's part of its magic. So Yeah, in fact, one of my favorite characters and some of my favorite sequences and most memorable sequences are the scenes where William H. Macy is trying desperately to get out of this hole he's in. Yes. And he can't. Where he's like saying, oh, no, I know I sent those numbers over to you. And he, you see him with the number with, of the serial number. Oh, with the piece of paper where he's, like, where he's cr- writing over and over. Facts, over yeah. The number he's going to fax over. And everyone and, watching this knows there's no way you're going to fix this, man. Yeah, you can't get out you of it, but he's hanging on it. to it. And that's just so haunting, you know, because you... 
you we've all feel felt so trapped. bad for this guy and at the same time he's doing terrible things yeah. but he's just stuck and he doesn't mean for things to go as terrible as they do but he's but so he's desperate. still the reason that it's happening yeah 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 it's it's kind of amazing but boy are we off track here this is not the Cohen brothers cast no it is not otherwise we'd sit here and have to start talking about the brilliance of Hail Caesar <laughs> So there you go. There you go. Or the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I haven't seen yet. I need to see that. Oh, you do need to see the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes, indeed you do. Well, I was watching Hannibal when I should have been watching that. <laughs> no, no, no. Now you can go and watch Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You're fine. You're fine. All right, folks. Um, we're not sure exactly when it will happen, but the next time that, <laughs> that Mr. Hudson and I sit down to talk about Antonio Margariti films, are going to stay in the rather uh, raucous decade of the 1980s. And we're going to skip to a science fiction horror movie, Aliens from the Deep. Um, I wonder where they play. I can't remember. Were they playing around with the whole thing with the Abyss and Deep Star Six? I can't remember. I, and I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I cannot remember. I think primarily I remember it being a kind of Aliens ripoff, but we'll find out. It's mean, in the title, right? Yeah. Aliens from the Deep. Maybe it was an Abyss thing. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Anyway. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, regardless, one way or another, we'll find out. So, John, thank you once again for sitting down and doing this. Thank you. I say it every time. I love doing this. I, I it, it is always more fun than I think it's going to be because I hate seeing you. Same here. <laughs> Same here. I loathe the sight of you. <laughs> thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs> My name is Rod Barnett. And I'm John Hudson. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.